let me ask you a question as we dive in this morning. What do you need this morning? Like, what do you need from the Lord? What do you need God to do that only God can do? Um, because uh, here, here's one of the things that, that I've seen. If people come to worship needing something, right, needing something that only God can do, they often leave worship satisfied. If people come to worship not needing anything from God, they leave unsatisfied. Because this place, what we're doing here, whether you're in person or online, this place is where we meet the God of the universe. Right? It's not just a place that we come and check off the box. It is a place that we come and we are transformed. And so today, I want you to take a minute and just ask that question. What do you need from God today? What do you need that only God can do? And with that, let me pray for us as we dive in. Jesus, we uh, do ask for you to do what only you can do this morning. We ask for you to speak clearly to our hearts, that we may understand your word and we may understand your voice, and that we may walk out of this place different people than we walked in because of you. And may the glory of that transformation go to you and you alone. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now if you have your Bibles, I want you to uh, turn to Ezra. Uh, chapter 7 and 8 is what we're going to be doing today. Uh, we're going we're gonna to pop through one chapter pretty intensely and then, and then highlight some stuff from the other chapters. Uh, but as you're turning there, I, I want to ask you a question. Right? Besides what do you need? I want to ask you another question. This one, this one might be a little bit uh, easier or harder. I don't know. It depends on your experience. Before you begin any building project or even any rebuilding project for that matter, uh, what's the first thing that you need to have? Think about that for a minute. Any, any, any suggestions? What's the first thing that you need to have before you start a building or rebuilding project? What do you think? A plan. Very good. Very good. Any other thoughts? Money. Yes, yes, yes. Because the plan always takes more money and more time than you think it does, doesn't it? Yes. He's an architect, by the way, so that's good. Um, uh, uh, Listen, I'm, I'm going to give you a clue of what I'm shooting for. It's kind of along the lines of what you say. And I'll give you a clue. It's in this bag, and it's already up on the stage, and it's been there this whole time. Because the first thing you need before you start a building project or before you start a rebuilding project is a plan. You need the blueprints, right? You need blueprints. And this bag uh, is full of the original blueprints for this building and that building over there that was built. Uh, that building was built in 1956, this one in 1973. And, and so they're fun because blueprints, here's what blueprints do. Uh, they tell you what you're building, which is important to know before you get started. And they tell you how to build what you're building. Right? Now, I've probably spent way too much time looking at the blueprints in this book because, one, my architectural understanding is very limited. I mean, I did take drafting in seventh grade, so it's not like I'm completely devoid of, of what's happening here, but pretty much I am. But, but here's, here's why I love looking at these old blueprints. It's because of what they represent, right? Because here's what I've noticed. 
These blueprints in here, and if you want after service, you can come and look at them. These blueprints in here represent a time when blueprints were done by hand. Right? They weren't done on computer. They were done by hand. And so part of me is fascinated by the artwork of these blueprints because the, the handwriting is so precise. Right? We call it a font now. They called it handwriting then. Right? Like, like it, it's so precise. The lines, the measurements are so accurate. I get lost uh, looking at them. And it, but but here's, here's why the, the, the font is so clear. Here's why the lines are so precise. Because it has to be. Right? Because as it went in these blueprints, so it went with the building. If, if a line is wrong in here, a wall is wrong over there. If, 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 if a word is unclear here, then the building is unclear in its structure. And so other words, it's this. As it goes in the blueprints, so it goes in the building. Right? As it goes in the blueprint, so it goes in the building. Well, here's what else I love about these. You know, there's, there, there's these big rolls of blueprints. And as you turn from one page to another, you see that, that, that the masons had a page. Like the bricklayers have a page. The electricians have a page. The plumbers have a page. And so as you go through this, you see all these levels of this blueprint that, that different specialists would come to this building and look at their page. And they would understand how their part contributes to the whole of this building. You see, every type of builder uses the exact same blueprints. Now, if that isn't enough, I've actually gotten to use some of these ancient blueprints as we've been rebuilding in this building, as we've been doing different projects. Because you see, the reasons I've looked at these so often is because sometimes we needed measurements for a space that we didn't have measurements for. And so we looked at this to figure out how tall the ceiling was or how long this room is for, for, for when we were doing cameras and, and all that stuff. This, these plans have also helped us see what we can't see. Like what's behind a wall with electrical work and plumbing. They've helped us see what's under this carpet. As we've thought about pulling it up and putting new carpet down, it's kind of important to know what you're looking at underneath. Well, these plans showed us what's underneath, which is really cool. And so not only do builders need blueprints, what we've learned is that rebuilders need blueprints as well. You see, rebuilders need a blueprint. Well, a blueprint is today's symbol. As we've been going through this series called, called Rebuilders, Rebuilding, like we've had different things up here that we've added as we've gone through the book of, of Ezra. And today, it's blueprints. Because today, we're going to meet Ezra, the guy who wrote this book. And I'm really excited about meeting Ezra. He's one of my, one of my favorite Old Testament people. I think he's one of the least known. But in ancient Israel, he was right up there with Moses in popularity. Right? He's, he's one of my favorites. He's, he's the one who most scholars believe wrote the book of Ezra and wrote the book of Nehemiah as well. But in him, we're going to see that he appreciated and valued a good set of blueprints, right? Because he was a rebuilder. But here's what I want us to do. As we go through this text, what I want you to do is to see what his blueprints actually are. Because it's not the ones uh, like this. See if you can identify Ezra's blueprints. So let's look at chapter 7, verse 1. It says this. All right, y'all, this is full of names, so bear with me. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Shuriah, 
son of Azara, son of Hilkah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Athub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meriloth, son of Zechariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, which Buki, that, somebody should name a dog Buki. I think that is the cutest, the cutest name. I picture a little dog with big ears, Buki. Um, some, son of Abusha, son of Phineas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the chief of priests. So here's what, here's what Ezra is communicating, right? He's going through these names, starting with him and ending with Aaron, right? Because Ezra wants you to understand that he is connected to his heritage, Right, as Aaron was Moses's brother, and when 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 Egypt, I mean, when uh, Israel left Egypt uh, under the leadership of Moses, Aaron became the high priest for the nation of Israel. He became the first priest for the nation of Israel. Ezra is going to be the first priest in the rebuilding of Israel. And so just like Aaron was, Ezra is. And so he's kind of letting you know that, that he has stayed in the family business, right? He, he's a high priest, just like his, his great, 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 great grandfather Aaron was. Well, look at what else we see in verse 6. It says, then Ezra went up from Babylonia, right? So, so he's giving you this heritage, and then he wants you to know that he's been in Babylon this whole time. Right? As, the, as the other people have left to, to rebuild the temple and lay the foundations and build the temple, uh, Ezra has stayed in Babylon. And since we know historically when Artaxerxes was the king of Persia, we know that it's now 57 years since that original foundation was laid for the temple. When those first group of people came and laid the foundation, this is almost 60 years later that Ezra is, is, is on the scene now. Look at this in the rest of verse 6. It says, uh, This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And so he's letting you know his family line. He's in the family business, right? He's a high priest. He's a priest. He's letting you know he's been in Babylon this whole time, and he's letting you know a little bit about himself, that he is a scribe. And let me tell you about scribes uh, biblically. Because what a scribe would do, you know, you've probably heard of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. Well, the scribes, they dedicated themselves to, to the scriptures. You know, in, in a time before there were printing presses, in a time when, when, when people read the words of scripture, they were like these blueprints, they had to be done by hand. And so a scribe is a person who would painstakingly, letter by letter, phrase by phrase, copy from one manuscript to another the the scriptures and so the bible when i say bible to them it was was particularly the first five books of our old testament it was what we call the law that's what that's what they referred to as the scriptures and then prophets were added on and and so they would painstakingly copy those word for word phrase phrase by phrase so that they could be read in the in the in the synagogues that's what ezra did but scribes also were like the the bible scholars Right? Not only did they, did they spend their life dedicated to making sure one copy was exactly like the other copy with no errors and no omissions. Now keep in mind, they did this on papyrus. And if, and if, they, and if they made a mistake over here, 
they'd had to throw the whole thing away. They didn't have erasers. They had to start all over again. This was a laborious process. And through that, they got to know the Word of God really good. And so part of their job was not just to copy it, but it was to understand it and to say, okay, how does this apply to our daily lives? So in many ways, think of scribes like the scholars of the Old Testament. They were, the, they were like the college professors of the Old Testament. They knew the ins and outs of, of God's Word. But we're going to see that with Ezra... There was something very special about his version of being a scribe. Because if you, if you read the New Testament, you see Jesus runs into scribes quite a bit. And we're going to talk about those in a minute. But, but there was something special about Ezra's version of it. And look at the rest of verse 6. It says, And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord God was on him. And so in verse 6, we see that not only is he still in the family business being a priest, not only is he a scribe, um, uh, we also see that God had given him this special relationship between him and the king of Persia. That whatever Ezra asked the king, the king would give him. Now what's interesting in the, in the original language of this, when it says the, the hand of the Lord was on him, it's not clear if the hand of the Lord was on Ezra or the hand of the Lord was on the king. Right? But all we know is that in this relationship, God was working. That whatever Ezra needed in his journey back to rebuild... God was doing, God, God would give it to him through this king. Now let me point out something about, special about Ezra. As I mentioned it earlier, we, we have to understand what Ezra is going to here is that Babylon, this place where the nation of Israel had been exiled to, was the only home that he ever knew. Because just simple math from what we've done so far through this book, not only is it 57 years from the time that of the temple, like the whole time for these rebuilders till now is actually about 120 years from when the first group got there to remember they hit pause and, and all this stuff. And so it's, it's about 120 years ago. So, so the only home that Ezra has known has been Babylon, and yet God is stirring in his heart to go back to this homeland that he's heard about. God is stirring in his heart to be a rebuilder. And so you see, being a rebuilder with God sometimes requires you to leave behind what you have always known to be able to embrace what God has ahead of you. And when I say leaving behind what you've always known, I mean leaving behind what is as comfortable as home. Because that's what it was for Ezra. This was his home, and he was leaving it to go to his new home. Now, y'all, this can be scary and for many of you, maybe as, as I've asked the question during this series, what is God stirring in you? What is God asking of you that only, that only God can do in you? Maybe he's been asking you to leave something comfortable, right? Like, like home comfortable. Not asking you to leave home per se, but asking you to leave something that's as comfortable as home. Maybe he's asking you to leave behind what you've, what you've always held on to and instead hold on to him even tighter in this new adventure. If he is, then what I ask you to do is to be like Ezra and follow God in that. Follow God in what God is stirring. Because when you do, you might find you're not alone. Look at verse 7. It says, And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the, fifth, which is in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. 
for the good hand of, the God, of God was on him. And so Ezra, when he left to be a rebuilder, left Babylon to come to, to, to Jerusalem, he didn't leave by himself. He had a whole group of other rebuilders with him, other people whose only home had been Babylon, other people who God was stirring to move in this brand new direction. And so when you rebuild, God's oftentimes not asking you to rebuild alone. When you take that step of faith, you see that other people are there ready to go with you. Now this next verse, though, Ezra chapter 10, I mean chapter 7 verse 10, is the verse for me. This is one of the reasons I love Ezra because of what we see about him in chapter 7 verse 10. This verse is one of my life Verses. Do y'all know what life verses are? Do y'all have life verses? Life verses, a life verse captures the person you want to be in Scripture. It captures what your identity is rooted to. It captures uh, what trajectory of life that you're on. I've got two life verses for me, and these are verses that, that I have memorized. These are verses that, that describe the person I want to be in Jesus. And one of them is from the New Testament. And it's John chapter 3, verse 30. And it's when John the Baptist, his ministry is declining and Jesus' ministry is, is increasing exponentially. And John's disciples are getting a little bit jealous of, of Jesus' ministry. And John makes this declaration about Jesus and himself, about their relationship. In John 3, 30, he says, He, being Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. And for me, I've latched onto that verse as a reminder to let Jesus be big and not feel like I have to make myself big, but to let my life be about letting Jesus be big, that he must increase and I must decrease. But my Old Testament verse, my Old Testament life verse is, is this next one. This is how I want to live my life as a pastor and how I want to live my life as a follower of Jesus. Look at verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach his statues and rules in Israel. And so here's what makes Ezra this special kind of scribe. He is setting his heart and mind to three things. One, to study God's word. Two, to do it. And then three, to teach it to others. So it's this study, practice, and, and teach. In other words, Ezra's life goal isn't just to increase his own knowledge. Right, Because if you want to increase your own knowledge, you, you study God's word and you teach it to others. That means you're interested in, in you knowing more about God's word and others knowing more. And it's about increasing knowledge. In the New Testament, a New Testament writer named Paul actually talked about that being a formula for disaster. That if you just want to increase your knowledge and you want to increase somebody else's knowledge, that's not what God's word is asking of us. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, he says this. He says, this knowledge puffs up. Noah, can you put that verse up there for me? This knowledge puffs up. 1 Corinthians. Right? That's Paul talking about knowledge. That if you're just, if you're just here to, to, to get knowledge of God's word and, and maybe give that to others or even just to get others, then what's going to happen is you're just going to be puffed up. And what puffed up means is that you're going to see yourself as bigger than you actually are. Has anybody ever seen one of those puffer fish? All right? We were uh, in Hilton Head, this was a couple of years ago, and we did one of those dolphin finding expeditions, you know, where you get on a boat and they, they drive you around and you try and see a fin stick out of the water and everybody claps and oohs and ahs and it's great fun. Well, we were, um, uh, yeah, I know, I know. 
and we paid money for it. That's incredible. Um, um, we were uh, on this boat. We were the last one of the day. And uh, the, the captain of the boat said, hey, would y'all mind if we go by and check on our crab traps that we have out here? We're like, sure, that'll be fun. So, so we go, you know, he takes us around and his wife starts pulling these uh, cages out of the, the water. And in them were some beautiful and I bet quite delicious crabs uh, when uh, they are cooked and made. But um, they were also too small, so a lot of them, they got put back. But, but in one um, cage that she pulled up, there was this fish in there that was huge, and, and she was excited. She was like, oh, a puffer fish, a puffer fish. So she obviously let the cage out, and, 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 and as soon as he got back into the water, like all of a sudden he shrunk down. And like, y'all, like he went from something like this big to like, like this big, I mean, and he just swam away. It was the most amazing thing to see. Because what puffer fish do is when they get scared, uh, they inhale water into their stomach, and it expands uh, to, to make them seem bigger than they actually are. Now, what Paul is saying, I don't know if he knew what a pufferfish was, but he's having that same image of a person who just wants to acquire knowledge about God's Word. That what they do is they bring this stuff in, and it makes the person look big and great, but really, they're just empty on the inside. There's not a lot there. Really, there's just this really small thing on the inside. And i got to tell you, churches today are full of people who know their Bible, but they don't know how to live like the Bible asked them to live. Right? You see, because the rest of Paul's verse is what's important. Because the rest of Paul's verse is this. This knowledge puffs up, but... But, Noah, can you put that one up for me? This knowledge puffs up, but, what's that word? But what builds up? Love. This knowledge, for the sake of knowledge, puffs up. But love builds up. You see, Paul must have had Ezra in his mind as he wrote this because because Ezra had something between studying and teaching that made all the difference. Right? What, is, what does Ezra say is between studying God's word and teaching God's word? What does it say? It says to do it. To, 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 to practice it. And this word to do in Hebrew means to make. It means to create. It means to embody. And so what it means is that if Ezra saw something in God's word, he took the time and effort to make it true about himself before he taught it to others. You see... To Ezra, God's word is his blueprint. That's what shaped his life. That's what shaped his identity. That's what shaped everything about him. That God's word is a rebuilder's blueprint. And so what we see about Ezra is that everything about him ties back to God's word. Much like the blueprints here in this bag, if it's true on these prints, Right? It's true in the building. And for Ezra, if it was true in God's word, he made it true about himself. Because just like a good set of blueprints, as it goes in God's word, so it goes in you. Right? As it goes in God's word, so it goes in you. We can be like Ezra. Now, here's why this is important to me. And here's why it's one of my life verses. I stand up here and teach God's word to you almost every Sunday. 
It is my job not to just teach you knowledge, but to teach from a place of transformation. It is my job to let the truth of God's word soak into me and to teach you from that place of transformation. Because the last thing that I want for you as a church is to be puffed up, right? And if I'm puffed up, you're gonna be puffed up. But if I'm transformed by God's word, it helps you be transformed by God's word. Because you see, church, there are way too many people in churches, and I fear even in this church, that are just content with knowledge about God. They're just content with knowing what the Bible says. And they can quote you chapter and verse on almost anything. But here's the catch. They don't practice it. Right? They're not growing in love. They're not growing in forgiveness, which is one of the way, one of the way love shows out. They don't embody it. They just have knowledge. And y'all, these men and women may look very influential. They may look very good on the outside, but on the inside, they're empty. They're like that, that fish, full of water in its stomach. And as soon as it gets in the water, it's, it's this small little thing. And I got to tell you, as, you're, as a pastor, my heart breaks for them. Because Jesus has so much more and such a better way to live for us. And it's actually what Jesus came up against time and time again as he was doing his ministry. He would talk to scribes. Now, most of them uh, weren't the Ezra type of scribes. They were the scribes that just valued knowledge. They were the scribes that just valued knowing the scriptures and teaching others the knowledge of the scriptures. They knew and, and they studied about the coming Messiah and they had memorized the prophecies and they knew the scriptures. They knew the memory verse. They could describe the Messiah to you. But when their Messiah was standing right in front front of them he was a stranger to them they didn't recognize the fulfillment of the of the word of god that they that they studied and to them jesus said this in matthew 23 verse 3 he said for they practice but they do not preach for they practice i mean for they preach they do not practice the other way around would have been fine yeah now they they preach but they don't practice. And so church, if your knowledge of the Bible hasn't given you more love for those around you, if your knowledge of the Bible hasn't given you a deeper love for those who are different from you, if your knowledge of the Bible hasn't given you a growing ease in forgiving those who offend you, then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And that may sound harsh, but you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And if this is you, I ask you to be like Ezra also. Because you see, even in Jesus' time, there were scribes that were like Ezra. There were scribes that embodied this idea of, I'm going to study God's word, I'm going to practice it, and I'm going to do it. Because one of them came up to Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 8, it says this. It says, a scribe came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. In other words, this scribe knew something about Jesus. You see, if you don't practice what you preach, if you know your Bible but haven't grown in love, then I'm going to ask you to do something today that may seem very unusual because here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you to say say yes to Jesus for the very first time because if you know your Bible and you haven't grown in love and ability to forgive others, then you have said yes to something, but it's not Jesus. You have said yes to religion is what you have said yes to. You have said yes to knowledge, but you haven't said yes to love. You haven't said yes to Jesus. And there was a time when Jesus was teaching, 
the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he had this incredible story that he told about demons of all things. And he, and he told this story about, about a, a man who was cleaned, uh, who, was, who, was, uh, who was cleansed of demons, right? And it said that the demon left and was going over the arid places. I don't know if demons are afraid of water or what, but Jesus made a point that he was over dry ground. And he said, and he thought, I'm going to go back to where I just left. And it says that the demon came back, this is what Jesus said, and found the house clean and in order. And so what the demon did is he went and got seven of his demon buddies and they came back and took, took up residence in that house again. And Jesus said this, he said, so it is with a man who hears and doesn't understand. And so when he says, so it is for a man, you realize that, oh, Jesus isn't talking about a house. He's talking about a man, which means he's not talking about a home. He's talking about a soul. And he's talking about a soul that is clean and orderly and organized. But guess what? Nobody's home. There's no ruler in that house. Y'all, that's what religion is. That's what, that's what knowledge for knowledge sakes is. You're, the house of your soul may be in order, but Jesus isn't there. And if Jesus isn't there, the door's open for all other things to flood in. And Jesus' point to these scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees is that you may know God's word, but you don't know me. And his invitation was for them to know him and to know him deeper and better. And so if this is you, if you know the emptiness that I'm talking about, if you know the growing anger that's inside of you, then I ask you to lay down your own efforts to impress God and to impress those around you. I ask you to lay down your striving and your own fear and in their place put the true author and perfecter of your faith, put Jesus. Let Jesus become the person that you embody. Let him become the person that you mimic. Let him become the person that you live with and live for. Let Jesus be the person that shows you how to love others and let Jesus show you a better way to live. Now for this next chunk of verses here in Ezra, we see a letter, right? Ezra and Nehemiah are full of letters, right? And this letter is from the king of Persia that, that, that he sent with Ezra so that as he encountered people, he could give them and show them that the king gave him permission. And it basically says this in this letter, that any Israelite who wants to go with Ezra can go with Ezra. But look at verse 21. So, so jump down to verse 21 with me. Verse 21 says this. This is still part of the letter. And I, Artaxerxes, the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river, Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law, the God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. And so what this king does in this letter is he not only is saying, hey, if anybody wants to go with Ezra, he can go. But he's also saying, you will have everything you need if you go. Whatever Ezra asks for, give it to him. And so, y'all, God's blueprint, God's word does the same thing for us. Not only does it invite us to go with Jesus and to follow him, it also gives us everything we need to grow in Jesus. Everything we need to grow in the love of Jesus. You see, all rebuilders, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, all rebuilders have everything we need in God's blueprint. We have everything we need in God's word. Now, here's why, here's why I say this, because it's real easy to think that we don't, right? Because God word, God's word may not give us everything we want, right? But it gives us everything we need. 
And it really does give us everything we need. And it really is available to anyone. And just like these blueprints are used by, by every type of builder that put their hands in, 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 to this building, God's word can be used by every type of rebuilder asking the question, what is God stirring? And what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? You see, God's word is available to anyone, giving us all the directions we need. Look at verse 25. Um, jump down to there. Verse 25 says this, And you, Ezra, according to the, to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the, uh, beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who will do them you shall teach, and those who will not do them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for the confiscation of his goods or imprisonment. This king was really serious, right? And so what the king does is he gives Ezra authority. That's what selecting judges mean. And, 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 and so what Ezra did, and we're going to see more of this next week, is he took this blueprint of God's word and he held it up to the people of Israel. And, and where they, they matched God's word, he encouraged them. Where they didn't, he's going to lead them through a process of discipline that we're going to see next week. But there's something else about Ezra that every rebuilder needs. Look at verse 27. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty uh, officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. You see, he needed courage to do this step. He needed courage to be a rebuilder with God. And y'all, rebuilding is courageous work. Right? We can't forget that. What God is stirring in you is going to take more faith and trust than you have to do it. That's how you know it's God. Because it's something that only God can do. Right? But, but this work is not done alone. Because Ezra gathers other leaders around him. And if you look at, at chapter 8 verses 1 through 20, it is a list of all those people that, that, that he gathered around him. And it's a list of families and priests who joined Ezra. But look at chapter 8, verse 21, because here we're going to see how Ezra also gathered his courage. And I think this is important for us. Chapter 8, verse 21 says this, And then I proclaimed a fast there at the river, that we might humble ourselves before our God and seek, him, uh, and seek from him a safe journey for ourselves and our children and our goods. And so what Ezra does is he gathers these leaders and before they head off, they, he, he goes, okay, y'all, let's just stop for just a minute. We've got to fast and pray because what we're going to do is going to take courage. And, and, and we, if, if you read in between those two, you see the reason uh, that it takes courage, we keep reading, is that, that Ezra didn't ask the king for protection, right? Because to Ezra, it seemed a little counterproductive before this king to say that I've got this great God who's going to do these great things, and oh, can we borrow a couple of your bodyguards to go with us, right? And so Ezra said, no, 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 if, if we're going to do this, if God's with us, he's going to protect us. And he knew that that was a position of faith, and he knew that that position of faith took courage, and he knew that he needed to fast and pray with these leaders to get that courage. 
And so if you keep reading, you'll see that God does protect them. You'll also see that Ezra does something really smart, uh, which I think would be fun for y'all to look at in verses 24 through 34 because they're taking all this treasure with them. And so it's really fun to see what Ezra does as a good leader to, to, to carry that treasure with them on such a long journey. So take some time to check that out. But as we finish up today, I have this thought for you to consider. It, 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 here's the deal. I'm a preacher. You're at church. It's probably not a surprise for me to say God's word is the way we measure our life and live our lives and all that. Like, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have heard that before? Right? We all have. That's why we gather together. It's, it, 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 it's God's word. And it's probably not a surprise, too, if you're familiar with this Thrive image that we talked about and we keep coming back to. If, if you put that up, yeah, I think you know that this, this is how we see, man, this is how we thrive in life. This is what, what a thriving disciple of Jesus looks like. They're, they're with Jesus, they're for others, and they're in God's word. And so it's not a surprise for us to talk about being in God's word because we've talked about it before and we'll talk about it again. That God's word is one of the markers of a disciple, that God's word is for all of us and provides all that we need. But here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering what did surprise you today. Like what, what, what did surprise you? What, what did you need coming in here? What did you need when you sat down? And what has God done and what is God doing? I'm wondering what surprised you today. Did it surprise you to hear that you can know God's word and not be a follower of Jesus? Is that surprising to you? Is it surprising to you to know that if you're not growing in love and forgiveness, you're not growing in Jesus? Is that, is that surprising to you? Is it surprising to hear that rebuilding needs courage because it may, God might be asking you to leave behind something that's comfortable? Is that surprising to you? What surprised you? Now today... If you're watching online, we're not doing a post-sermon chat, but I would love to, to have some post-sermon chatter going on, right? As you talk amongst yourselves and as you talk at home. And, and, and here's the question I do want you to consider. What surprised you in this text today? What surprises you about Ezra? What do you see in God's word that it's time for you to do it? It's time for you to practice it. It's time to let it embody. Since it's Mother's Day, ask your mom what surprised her. Right? Mom, ask them what surprised them. And let's see what God has for us as we keep asking the question, what is God stirring? Let's pray. Jesus, you, you are good. And you lead us into stuff and, and places and things that are good. And so, Father, I pray for us as, as rebuilders that we have the courage to take that step of faith. That we have the courage to, to leave behind what is comfortable and to step out in faith with you in a real and tangible way. And that God, that you get the glory for it. In Christ's name I pray, amen.